Welcome back to this encore edition of Midday. I'm Tom Hall. My next guest is Naima Koster, the author of the New York Times bestseller, What's Mine and Yours, which was chosen by Maryland Humanities as this year's One Maryland, One Book selection. That's a program in which Marylanders all over the state read the same book and have the opportunity to talk about it with other readers and the author. Naima Koster's novel explores the dynamics of family and community and the divisions that course through the lives of sisters and their circle in a story that pivots from North Carolina to California, France, and elsewhere. Naima Koster was in Maryland in October, engaging readers across the state about what's mine and yours. She joined me on Zoom from New York before her trip. A reminder that because our show was pre-recorded, we can't take any new calls or online comments. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for your time. So there's a line here in the book in which one of the characters says, your address decides everything in life. And we hear about that uh, in the modern in modern political discourse. You know, your address shouldn't be the thing that dictates uh, the chances you have in life. Um, much of the story takes place in the Piedmont in North Carolina. Talk about why that setting was important to you to tell this story. The seed for this novel first came to me when I was living in Durham, North Carolina, um, a wonderful city, and I loved my time there. But one of the things that was most striking to me that people said about Durham was that it was a city with no racial majority, um, which is true. Um, but it made me wonder what kinds of tensions and inequalities might still exist in such a diverse city. And so while I was there, I thought a lot about the demographics of Durham, about opportunity and how it varied across zip code, um, and what was happening in this formation of a new South, um, where there are all different kinds of crossings and persistent segregation. Um, so North Carolina and the Piedmont became a place that I really wanted to write about race and interracial connections and tensions. So uh, it starts in the 90s, the early 90s, and then it, it, it ping-pongs uh, ahead and behind. Um, uh, and as a, as a writerly uh, device, it was really interesting. It was a little confusing in the beginning. It was, it was tough for me to uh, keep track of folks. But then as I got uh, further into the book, it became quite easy. Um, that was a really interesting device. We'd meet a character when she was in high school, and then we would see that same character when she's an adult. Uh, We'd go back and forth. Um, so there are things, obviously, that you know about the character. Uh, when, when you go back to high school with the character, you know what's going to happen to her uh, a little bit later because you've already read it. Um, is that a device that you've used a lot? Uh, was that a decision you and your editor made, or is that the way you conceived of the book? I've always been interested in how the past and the present speak to each other. My first novel, Halsey Street, does a lot of moving back and forth in time. But the structure for What's Mine and Yours was wholly new. And what I wanted to do was write a novel that felt like a mosaic, a mosaic of a community and of two families that looks in on different characters, but also a mosaic that looks at moments in time that speak to each other powerfully. You know, I think when we look at our own life stories, 
what holds them together isn't just chronology. It's not just what happened first and what happens next. Um, it's how different moments speak to each other across time in ways that we're aware of and sometimes in ways that we're not aware of but feel perhaps in our bodies. And so I wanted to write a novel where moments could speak to each other and could echo and have resonance, even if they don't happen on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday sequentially. Naima Coster is my guest. She is the author of What's Mine and Yours. That's the book that's been chosen as the One Maryland One book selection for 2022. Naima Coster is my guest on this archive edition of Midday. Her latest novel is called What's Mine and Yours. It was chosen as the 2022 One Maryland One book selection. I really like this novel. Naima Coster and I spoke in September. So, um, Naima, let's talk about two of the main characters here, two of the mothers. Uh, one is named Jade, the other Lacey May. It's Lacey May's daughters. There are three of them uh, that figure uh, as great protagonists in the story. And then Jade's son, um, Guy or G. How do you how do you pronounce his name? G, like the letter G. Yeah, G. Um, a very interesting. Uh, character. Talk about those two mothers and then the conflict uh, that arises uh, between them. Yes. Well, Jade is a mother who suffered a terrible loss. She loses her partner and co-parent in a terrible act of violence. And in the aftermath of that tragedy, she has to figure out how she's going to protect her son, G, who's a sensitive anxious young black boy and make sure that he has a good life um, and that nothing further is taken away from him because he's already lost too much. Um, and she's been ambivalent about motherhood in the ways that it's limited her own sort of ambition, but she's certain that she wants her son to have a bright future. Um, the other mother, Lacey May, is a white woman who's raising her three daughters on her own while her husband, Robbie, is absent from their lives and struggling with addiction. She's a woman who also feels that she has thwarted potential and wants to make sure that her girls go further in life than she was able to. And the two mothers find themselves on opposite sides of an integration debate. Um, Lacey May opposes the integration of the school district. She wants to hoard opportunity for her girls, who she sees as white, um, although they are half Colombian. And Jade wants to make sure that G has access to a quality education. Um, the mothers try to keep their children, Noelle and G, apart, but they find each other during the production of a school play meant to bridge the divide between the old and the new students. And the book follows the families during the events of the integration in the high school, but also before that integration and then also in the years to come. And, uh, you know, by, by putting faces and names, uh, even though they're fictional, you made them up, uh, but by having these faces and names uh, on this uh, story that uh, and this issue that was a national issue in the 70s. Uh, I lived in Boston in the 70s, um, where busing was a huge issue. Um, but when when it comes to you know forcing integration in schools around the country, um, this was a very very 
controversial uh, and difficult period. And you're talking about this happening uh, here in North Carolina in the 90s. So um, uh, how how is, we were just talking to Wendy Shia about, you know, the, the characters in this fictional novel um, help us uh, with a window into the issues that, that those people are, are dealing with in that story. Um, as a novelist, were you, were you thinking about them as characters and, you know, human beings that you've invented? Or were you thinking about the larger issues of integration in education uh, and as a way to tell that story? I was thinking about both. I was thinking about characters and their context, because um, I think that our contexts shape our lives. Um, so I was thinking about what it's like to be G, to be a sensitive, anxious, young black boy in a largely white environment, to have the pressure to prove your belonging when what you really want to do is just get an education and fly under the radar. Um, and what is it like to be G and sit in a community meeting where people are opposing your presence um, and your right to an education that your peers across town um, are able to access? So, you know, I don't see these issues as separate from our lives. They shape our lives, um, sort of going back to the question of the address and the zip code. They shape our life expectancy, our educational attainment, and they certainly shape our interior lives, our emotional lives, and what we bring to our relationships. And so what the novel really tries to do is explore what these larger issues have to do on the intimate scale of a person's relationship with others and also with oneself. And that's one of the reasons these characters, uh, and again, there's a bunch of them in this book. I mean, it's full of uh, really interesting people, um, but it's why they're so sympathetic and why they're so interesting and compelling. Because uh, in the case of G, for example, I mean, it's just hard enough being a teenager in yes. general <laughs> under the yes. best of circumstances. <laughs> yes. It's a tough gig. Um, and to have all that other stuff piled on top uh, really makes for uh, for compelling exploration. Naima Coster is the author of What's Mine and Yours. We'll talk about it a little more after a quick break. I'm Tom Hall. It's midday. Stay with us. I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mahela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, we'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WYPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. And welcome back. If you've just joined us, you're listening to an archive edition of Midday. I'm Tom Hall. My guest is Naima Koster, the author of the 2022 One Maryland One Book selection, What's Mine and Yours. The One Maryland One Book program has readers across the state read the same book and get together to talk about it. It's kind of like a statewide book club. And each year, the author of the book comes to Maryland and appears in venues across the state to talk to readers about his or her work. My conversation with Naima Koster was recorded earlier, so we aren't able to take any new calls or online comments. Here's more of my conversation with Naima Koster. 
So, Naima, this uh, book explores the dynamics between families as well, or within families. Um, talk about the dynamic between Lacey May and her three daughters. You've got three uh, young girls who end up on very different paths. One's an uh, aspiring actress, goes to L.A., another stays uh, in North Carolina uh, and has a business, uh, uh, and a third ends up for a time at least in Atlanta. Um, it's always families are all complicated, uh, and this one is yes. deliciously complicated. Um, <laughs> what, what do you think the the uh, the takeaways are uh, in those relationships. Well, I saw Lacey May at first as a mother who would go to any lengths for her daughters. You know, the first chapter with Lacey May in the book is about her struggle to keep the heat on for her girls um, when she's destitute without the support of her partner. Um, and it's sort of seen as virtuous, I think, in that chapter that she'll do anything to protect her girls. But over the course of the novel, it really leads Lacey May astray and it intersects with her own prejudices, her own fears. Um, and it leads her to resist the integration at the school, um, which really upsets her eldest daughter, Noelle, who's a white presenting young woman, but who strongly identifies with her Colombian father um, and wants to stand up and stand with the other children of color at the school. So it causes a huge rift between Lacey May and Noel. And while they're sort of at odds with each other, the other two sisters, I think, feel left out of the drama. You know, drama consumes a lot of our energies. So it's a way that Lacey May and Noel are really bound. Um, and the other sisters try to find a place for themselves. Margarita, the middle daughter, um, by getting attention however she can, she goes on to try to become a social media influencer and model in her adulthood. And then Diane in being a peacekeeper for her family, which in adulthood leads her to hide who, really she, who she really is from her family. So it was a lot of fun as a novelist to dig into how the dynamics established in this family when all the girls are very young continue to play out between the daughters and their mother and among the sisters when they're older. And the interior lives that you etch out for us with each of these folks um, are wonderful to observe because everybody evolves. Everybody grows up. You're not the same person in your 20s that you were in your teens or in your 30s that you were in your 20s. And uh, that's really fascinating uh, to watch people uh, grow and, and uh, you know, make mistakes and recover and uh, keep on keeping on. Um, is it is it difficult to imagine those kinds of things, to imagine a person, uh, a Noel, for example, who's a high school kid in a play uh, for a while and then an adult uh, in, a, in a complicated marriage? Um, as, you, as you conjure these people, um, do, does that come, you know, with, uh, is that a facile process or is that tough? It's tough. And for me, it's really the work of writing the novel, sort of figuring out how people develop in ways that make sense and are profound, but aren't predictable, that can still surprise us and that feel real. Um, it's one of the things I love about reading is seeing the ways that characters surprise us, but still remain um, who they are at their core. And it's, it's one of the great pleasures of writing. Do you research that kind of thing? 
do you or, or or is research reading other novels about other families you know the, the, the there's the Tolstoy line about how all families are dysfunctional right. etc um but I mean, how how do you uh you know how, how do you tap the muse for for understanding human beings in that way that's a great question i think that one of the most critical parts of my process in developing characters is giving myself time to develop insight so part of that means sitting with characters for a long time coming up with trajectories for them and then reconsidering them and changing them um, to really give myself the space for the characters to evolve and not remain exactly who they were when I first imagined them. So insight is critical. Um, and I think leaving room for surprise is critical um, because we have the capacity to surprise ourselves and surprise each other. And I think that should also be true in fiction. Yeah, and there are wonderful surprises in this book, including the end. The denouement, uh, you know, has a big surprise, which is a lot of fun. Um, what about yes. the research that you did about, you know, the actual racial tensions around school desegregation uh, in North Carolina or anywhere else uh, in the United States? Was that something that you you felt compelled to to present in a you know in a historically accurate way? Yes, I did feel compelled to represent it in a historically accurate way. Um, it's a small um, feature of the book in terms of the technicalities of how the integration initiative is pushed forward, but I did want to be accurate. So I read a lot about the integration initiative in the Wake County school districts in the early 2000 um, in North Carolina. Um, I read another terrific book called Hope and Despair in the American City by Gerald Grant, which was really helpful and focused on, again, Wake County schools, the Raleigh schools. I read some newspaper articles from that time. But I do think that the most sort of important research that I could do um, was just really paying attention to people in the world, like the way that people talk about school integration and their own educational experiences and about neighborhoods and privilege and inequality you know in that way being in the world and paying attention is research for figuring out not just what happens in terms of the policy but how people interpret it and what it means yeah uh, being in the world is research uh, in that way D when it comes to that conversation that uh, we're alleged to be having in the united states i mean since the the george floyd murder in minneapolis a couple of years ago uh, supposedly the united states has you know entered into a reckoning on race do you see it that way i mean are we having uh, the conversation in a productive way are we are we making any progress uh, whatever progress might look like that's a great question. I don't know if I'm equipped to answer it, but I will say that I do think reckonings with racial injustice have been ongoing in this country and that there have been people who have fought to push forward that reckoning um, for centuries. So I don't think that that reckoning is new. Of course, our language is new. Some of our insights are new. Um, but, you know, I have I have hope um, that these ongoing conversations will challenge, will challenge us and that um, we will see ourselves in these debates um, and see what's at stake for our lives and our nation and our communities in these conversations. Do you see yourself in this novel? Um, where'd you grow up? Uh, is this, is this informed by your own experience to any degree? 
Yes, it is. I mean, I think that I'm in all of the characters in this novel, um, but I have, you know, a special affinity for the the young people in this book for G, Noel, Diane and Margarita. You know, I my own educational experience was quite different than G's, um, but there were some commonalities. You know, I was a scholarship kid at a private school in New York City. So very different um, than a public school in the Piedmont of North Carolina. But I did have the experience of being one of the few black children in the classroom um, and to feel the loneliness of that position, the scrutiny of that position, um, and to really feel above all the desire to belong. So, you know, I thought a lot about G and what it was like for him in his school environment and the ways that the different adults in his life advise him, um, sometimes unhelpfully. You know, there's a teacher in the novel who tells G that he has to be a torch who shines a light for others because he's been given this great opportunity and he wants to, you know, show his white peers that he really belongs there. And it's just advice that's crushing for G and puts undue pressure on him. Um, so I certainly saw myself in that character and wanted to explore what it's like um, to be a person of color, particularly a young black person um, in a predominantly white environment. And what are the the ways of coping with that? How, how does one navigate that? I mean, as we've said, you know, being a teenager just in and of itself is hard enough. And to all of a sudden have, you know, this teacher or some, you know, social pressure, pressure on you to, to, oh, by the way, you've also got to save the world. Um, right. You know, um, <laughs> how do you navigate yourself out of that? That's, I mean, as a, as a kid who grew up as a white kid in a, in a mostly white high school, um, I didn't, I, I have no experience with that at all. Right. Well, you know, I think as a young person, you need help. You know, I'm sort of always wary of telling young people to look within um, to their internal reserves of strength, because of course they have them. And of course they can do that. Um, but young people in particular, I think, need help um, and support. Um, and so one of the things that G does find in the novel is a wonderfully supportive friendship from a peer when he becomes friends with Noel. Um, and I think that that friendship is incredibly sustaining for both of them. Um, it's empowering for both of them where they can kind of get together and say like, what's wrong with the grownups in our lives? And why are they um, trying to keep us apart um, and unable to see who we really are and what we need? Um, and so one of the things that the book explores is how we can choose bonds as young people and in adulthood that help us have the reserves to deal with some of the tougher things in life. Naima Coster. The book is called What's Mine and Yours. It was the One Maryland One Book selection for 2022. The One Maryland One Book program is run by Maryland Humanities. It creates a statewide book club of sorts. Readers all over the state read the same book and talk about it in events around the state. The authors participate in some of those events. In the fall of 2022, Naima Coster traveled throughout Maryland talking to readers in Baltimore, Frostburg, Frederick, and several other places. Every year in the fall, Maryland Humanities calls for suggestions from the public, from educators, librarians, and book clubs, to make suggestions about what book should be chosen as that year's One Maryland, One Book selection. The books are chosen around a particular theme each year. Past authors whose work has been chosen as the One Maryland, One Book selection include Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, Ross Gay, Lisa C., Mona Hanna Atisha, and Daniel James Brown. 
That's it for us today on this archive edition of Midday. I'm Tom Hall. I appreciate your joining us. We invite you to subscribe to the Midday Podcast, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. To follow me on Twitter, it's at Tom Hall, W-Y-P-R. To follow the show, it's at Midday, W-Y-P-R. Midday's director and engineer is Shania Mapson. Luke Spicknell is WIPR's operations manager. Taria Rogers, Rob Sivak, and Mallory Pinkard-Pierre produce our program. Austin Coglin from Clean Cuts wrote and recorded the Midday theme music. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.